Welcome to the Don't Shrink Back podcast. I'm Heidi Harris, your host. The term don't shrink back comes from Hebrews 10.39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. This podcast celebrates courage, spiritual courage, moral courage, cultural courage. We're trying to remind everybody that there are people still standing up for their beliefs, whether it's against government tyranny, whether it's for your beliefs in schools, or maybe it's helping prisoners try to change their lives, people who are making an actual difference and standing strong. Thank you for finding it. I hope you enjoy it. Tell somebody about it. Check us out at DontShrinkBack.com or Don't Shrink Back on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's guest is Gigi LaRue. She's with an organization called Our Duty. And it's really important to hear what she has to say because she is with a group of parents and based in several countries, by the way, who are fighting against having their children basically turned into medical eunuchs without a parent's consent. And the interesting thing is, this is not necessarily a woman who comes from the conservative perspective. A lot of people think, oh, it's just a conservative issue or this and that. Not necessarily true. Gigi LaRue, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Now, Our Duty is based in the UK, but it's an international organization, right? Talk to me a little bit about that. Correct. It's an international organization with branches in Canada, the UK, Australia, and uh, the US. And I believe it started in probably 2018. The founder is a parent who has a trans-identified daughter. And um, he was offering support there. And uh, in the course of exploring this issue uh, in my own life, I came across it and he wanted to do outreach to the U.S., so we, we brought it here. And we have uh, two branches, one on the east and one on the west, and we intake parents who have trans-identified children who are looking for a non-medical model of care. We're, we're really um, hoping for a therapeutic approach for all of these kids. It's so interesting because I have a friend right now who's battling this particular thing. They're trying to tell her daughter she really should be a boy or she's gay or she's this or she's that, and she is fighting tooth and nail to protect her child. As you mentioned, this isn't just about, uh, you know, drugs. This is about maybe some other responses before we tell kids that they're the wrong sex, right? And the schools shouldn't even be involved in this at all. Well, that's true. And I think, unfortunately, this is starting in the schools, you know, in K through 12. It's a school board choice, which I found interesting. I didn't realize that. We've been fighting the bills in California. And in the research on that, I work with Aaron Friday, who's been doing the legislative side. Um, they have a choice as a school board as to when to teach this, but it did become a mandate in the state of California. You have to teach about gender ideology. Now, I have no issue with them teaching about same-sex marriage because that's a real thing that exists. And I happen to be progressive and liberal Democrat, surprise, surprise, after after all these years. But I also feel that gender ideology is a form of, I won't call it a religion, but it's a belief system. And that has no place being taught as fact in our public schools. And it's interesting also because there are a lot of gay people who are not on board with this. I used to work with a guy at a station who was one of my closest friends there, a gay guy who came into the studio one day when I was on a break after I'd been talking about the trans issue. And he says, you stay on that. So it's insulting to try to mend these, you know, uh, I don't know, these issues into one. Well, they're very different things. And I think, unfortunately... In reality, that the trans medical movement is very homophobic. If you look at countries like Iran, um, the choice there is transition or death, and the state will pay for your transition. Well, here it's kind of a similar offer, even though the death isn't coming at the hands of the state. They're telling kids you will kill yourself if you don't transition. Wait a minute. This is happening in Iran? I had no idea. To kids? Not kids. Adults. Adult, gay, men and women. If you would like to stay alive, you have a choice. Either either live in clandestinely as, as a, as a gay person and stay in the closet or transition and live openly. 
Wow, who would have ever thought that was happening in Iran? The homophobic roots of this are saying that they would rather have trans women than gay men. What is wrong with an effeminate man? What is wrong with a gay man? In my opinion, nothing. It's telling gay people that something's wrong with them. And by virtue, it's extending that to children. When they talk about that, that if you're, if you have, if you have tastes uh, 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 and, and desires that happen to be male or female, that doesn't make you the opposite sex. It just means that you're a gender diverse person. There's nothing wrong with, with having interests that are outside of your expected gender. The stereotypes are really, really hideous as well. And that's the purview of parents. If your child is same-sex attracted, then obviously that may be something you want to deal with as a parent. I know people who've always felt like they were attracted to the same sex. I know people, you know, who've been that way for a period of time and then outgrown it, so to speak. So either way, it's not something that the school should be involved in at all, much less giving the kids uh, drugs or doing things behind the parents' back. I mean, this is not something schools should be involved in at all. Well, I think unfortunately the schools don't realize that that's it's a slippery slope, right? Because if, if if you if you socially transition a kid, that's supposed to be this benign, caring, accepting thing. Well, it's not. The CAS report that came out of the UK after Tavistock went down, which we'll discuss in a minute, um, basically established that socially transitioning is not a benign act. It's an extreme psychotherapeutic form of medical intervention, and the ACLU has argued that in certain cases that it's it's a form of of, it's a, the precursor to medical. And so if you if you tell a child from the age of, of you know seven that they're a boy that's really a girl, and then they grow up, they're much more likely to persist in that identity than naturally grow out of it, which many of them do if they're left alone. And so I think there's a lot of interventions that are happening that need to just be, be halted and let these kids explore this for themselves in a safe and loving environment, obviously. But yeah. to have the medical, the medical um, options sort of dangled constantly is really what the problem is. And I don't think teachers are aware of that. And there are a lot of kids who, you know, because puberty hasn't kicked in, the boys aren't necessarily manly boys. The girls aren't necessarily the frilly girls. I certainly wasn't that frilly girl. I was very much a tomboy and chasing lizards and building forts in the desert with the boys. And, you know, I had dolls, but I wasn't the frilly girl, things like that. And maybe some guys might be interested in things that are more feminine until puberty kicks in in most cases. So the idea that they're going to funnel you towards something that... It, had, your body hasn't even had a chance to become what it would be. I mean, it's crazy. Well, I have to say, I just want to touch on something you said about how you weren't quite as uh, mature as your friends and they left you alone. They, I'm assuming, meaning the boys. Yeah, right. Uh, I think that's part of this is I think our culture has become so obsessed with sex and pornography is so readily available. And a lot of the, the largest group watching it online are 12 to 17 year olds. Right. And that's where they're getting their information about sex. So I think a lot of this is is a way of hiding from that potential reality for girls. Um, it's different for boys, it manifests differently, but that's why you see such a spike in girls. It's one of the reasons, is because they're trying to get away from that, that uh, influence. I've also heard and read stories about young men who start taking these hormones, and then when they're 25, they go see doctors, and the doctor says, I can't do anything, you've got the penis of a nine-year-old boy. And you're absolutely right. Um, I believe Abigail Schreier described it in her book, Irreversible Damage, as a baby carrot penis uh -huh. because uh -huh. it doesn't grow. And the, the misnomer is that if you just stop, you'll immediately go through puberty again. Well, that's not possible. Um, the human body has, has magical qualities. Nature knows what it's doing. And so the hubris of the government and doctors thinking that they can replace that with a pill is just shocking to me because, you know, it lowers your IQ. It makes your bones brittle. It's like putting diesel in a gas engine. It doesn't work. It, it can run, but it, it's not at optimum. And I think the health effects that come from that are, are irreversible. Um, 
And the reality is they don't really know what it does to you. They can give you a baseline. So for testosterone, they can give you a baseline and say, yes, your voice will lower. Yes, you might get hair. Yes, you might get acne. But they don't know if it's going to atrophy your uterus. They don't know if it's going to do that until it's happening. And then you have to have a hysterectomy at 23. I mean, how could it not atrophy your uterus when you're taking hormones that are supposed to counteract what your body's supposed to naturally do? I mean, I've seen the videos, you've seen the videos of what it actually takes to make a penis. They take a flap of skin off your arm from your forearm and try to fashion a penis with it. I mean, that's not going to function correctly. We don't know what it does to their sex life. If anything, I don't know how you have a normal sex life with that. And so we, as you mentioned, we don't really know the ramifications of a lot of this. What we do know is once these things start, you become a medical patient for life. And that's what's so sad about it. And we don't know if these people are ever going to have normal lives after this. You know, we know the suicide rate's higher and all of that. We just don't know. And and they really don't really want to take the time to find out what the ultimate outcome is going to be. They just move ahead with these kind of uh, treatments. And we find that this isn't making people happier in the long run. And that's one of the most upsetting things for me. Well, I mean, they're going to find some sort of peace, I hope, because the truth is statistically and according to, I think it's a Swedish study, um, your suicidality and and mortality go up 19 times after you've transitioned. It takes a long time for them to realize their mistake. And I think once you start having the health effects, that becomes your life is, is the medical patient part kicks in. Um, the problem is the studies that they offer as success are only follow-ups of two years. And so again, if you remove the breast of a 15 year old and you check in with her two years later, she's not going to probably have realized the mistake until she gets to be 25, 30 and wants to have children or not, but just wants to have her body back. Right. And that's, ex- that's exactly what happens. That is exactly how it goes. And I see these people and they are just at wit's end. They don't know what to do with themselves at this point. They're so upset about what's happened. So now how did you get involved in it initially? I don't know how personal you want to get about this. Um, I'm not going to get too personal because my story's not done, but I will tell you that um, it's the same story as everybody else's. Um, you know, too much online um, influence. And and again, my story isn't finished, so it's not the most interesting, but I think that gives me um, an ability to talk to people whose stories are absolutely unfathomably tragic because I'm not broken by this. Um, lots and lots of families are. And I think people need, I think the biggest, the biggest, the biggest thing we can offer is, is a non-judgmental place to tell your story. Because I think when people talk to me, over Zoom and they tell their story, the relief of being able to have this conversation without someone judging you and telling you you don't love your child and calling you a transphobe. And you you feel sane again. You feel seen and you feel sane because right. the truth is this is a very lonely place. Um, I've said this before, but it, it would be easier to have a dead child because you have grief support. It would be easier to have an addicted child because you could go to a drug therapy place. This is There's no support. There's no um, in, in institutionalized support for this yet. It's coming. And there are lots of wonderful people at Genspect and Segum and uh, Partners for Ethical Care. I mean, we have a lot of good company in this, in this uh, fight against this irrational approach to gender that's taken over the world, really, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. It's, it's pervaded. Uh, provincial French villages are having this issue. I mean, it's insane. How did it get to this point? I mean, I, I mean, as a conservative, I would say, okay, the, to me, it's like Planned Parenthood can't get you to give an, have an abortion, so we're going to make sure you don't have grandkids. I mean, I look at it that way. Maybe that's conspiratorial. Okay, you may not see it that way. But we are turning these kids into basically Teletubbies. They're not going to be able to have children. I mean, this is it's insane to me how it even got to this point. 
Well, I think it was a well-orchestrated um, sort of a, a behind the closed doors conversation that started um, probably in the 90s. Uh, there was something called the Yoga Carter Principles where they they talked about implementing gender I- ideology into all aspects of of culture and life around the world. And, you know, the, the impacts on women's rights weren't discussed. Um, I think the realities of child transition hadn't really become a thing. I think that's really happened more steadily in the last 10 years. Um, and part of that has been the availability. So if you look at Tavistock, you know, that book by Hannah Barnes, The Time to Think, they, that she talked about how 48% of the kids that came in there were on the autism spectrum. Well, that's important. Wait, let me stop you there because everybody doesn't know Tavistock. Tavistock was the clinic in the UK where they were doing these kind of surgeries for a very long time. Talk a little bit about that for those who don't know the background. Well, the whistleblowers started blowing that whistle in 2005 and it took them until 2020 to have a ruling and Kira Bell was there, was the woman who came forward and was brought into the clinic. She was a emotionally traumatized lesbian. She started blockers at 14, testosterone at 15 and got a mastectomy, I think at 20. And then at 22 came out and realized the whole thing had been a terrible mistake. And uh, they sued and there was some success. And then there was a setback on the appeal that uh, under 16s um, wouldn't, I think they were trying to limit it to under 18s and now it's under 16 for, for being able to consent. But the point was it got a conversation going, a worldwide conversation going. Now, ironically, maybe, and not to sound conspiratorial, um, Ellen Page became Elliot Page on the same day that the ruling was announced. Hmm, so interesting. N- nobody got to hear about Kira Bell. And so we realized like this is a, this is a much bigger conversation than just a court of law in England, like this is a, sort of a concerted effort to make sure that this message doesn't get out. And, and I don't know why, because I don't think throwing gender nonconforming kids under the bus for anyone is worth it. I don't think we should be um, prioritizing the health of one group of people over the other. I think we all deserve good health care. And in this case, I think they're trying to hide the fact that this isn't successful for everyone because they don't want it to go away. But I think we need evidence-based health care, and that's not what they're getting. Right. And you're there, you're talking about Kira Bell, who is, yeah, as you mentioned, had been very, has been very upfront and center about this, but one of the, you know, one of the people who've been bold enough to come out and and been been trashed too. That's what's, you know, it's interesting too. You mentioned earlier something about the community that they find online. And that's what some people I know who are dealing with this have found their, their kids find the community online during COVID, I guess, made it worse for a lot of people because they weren't in school and they're chatting with people online. The next thing you know, they find some kind of acceptance in this group of people and then if they decide to transition or whatever they decide to do, or they decide to detransition, all of a sudden that entire community turns it back on them. And, and that's even more traumatizing or as traumatizing as what they've suffered physically. So talk a little bit about that. That's crazy. Well, it smacks of undue influence, right? It, it smacks of you're either with us or you're against us. And life just isn't that black and white. And I think what ends up happening is, is if you're in the group, you feel loved and supported. And the minute you try to leave, you're you're the worst thing that's ever happened. Right. To, to anyone. And I think it's a very, um, it's a very damaging um, dynamic because that's not reality. Right. You know, we all have different beliefs. You and I don't agree on everything and we can still have a civil conversation and maybe have a drink sometime yeah. and not get into a fight. I think that it, things have become so polarized in the last probably five or six years that this conversation, uh, if not for the people like at Genspect and Segum and our group, for really pushing this message that this is not a political issue. This is not a religious issue. This is a medical ethics scandal that is about to erupt. And you will see this in history books in the next 50 years talking about what were we thinking? Absolutely. Who let this happen? And I can say it wasn't me and you can say it wasn't you. We tried to stop. 
we tried to stop it. And mm-hmm. of course we hear, and I'm not asking you to bash Planned Parenthood. You and I probably disagree on that just politically, but Planned Parenthood is one of the largest providers of these drugs. And there are other people who are going to make a huge amount of money from these kinds of things. And in Nevada, my home state, they just the other day, our governor, our Republican governor signed a bill providing uh, this gender transition care for people who and forcing insurance to pay for it for everybody. And yeah. that is going to send insurance rates through the roof. And I'm concerned. I'm looking at some of the things on your website, our duty website, talking about a bill, a- AB 665 in California, where they're going to allow kids to basically making it very short here. I, I, I'll put, we'll put this online. But they're going to be able to allow these kids to get care without their parents' consent, without having certain qualifications, which you know is next in Nevada and next in any other state. And, and just so you know, because you don't know a ton about me, but I don't care what adults do. If adults want to do this, that's up to them. It's not my business. You know, I don't understand it. Bruce Jenner, I, I remember, I'm old enough to remember him as Bruce. I don't care what he adds or subtracts. It's the children that I'm concerned about. And now the idea that a child could go through some kind of, you know, medical procedure and the parents, you can't set a broken arm on a child. And this is what they're trying to do now. Well, here's the thing. They're piggybacking off an existing law that says 12 year olds are allowed to seek mental health and reproductive services if, if they are deemed mature enough. Now in those situations, a good psychologist or doctor will say, can I talk to your parents about this? Cause ideally you keep the family involved. Right. If the kid says no for safety reasons or for whatever reasons, then that's a different issue. But the point is to keep the families involved. And I think this particular issue with the gender affirming care piece has been wedged in and is pretty much designed to separate families and put parents who are not affirming on the outs and put other people in their place who are their real family. And I think that it just becomes very scary because again, none of this is evidence-based. Like, look, I'm pro-reproductive rights. I am Mm pro-choice. I have not supported Planned Parenthood since I found out they were giving cross-sex hormones to teenagers because Mm -hmm. I I cannot believe that an organization that I've supported my entire life Mm -hmm. would, would betray the values of that's reproductive healthcare that they're supposed to be providing. And what they're doing is sterilizing an entire generation of people. Right. I mean, wh- do you know the history on how they got involved in that? I, I don't know the history of how they got I involved. I don't. In I just know that I'm assuming it's because of all the restrictions when um, our Republican president was in. I'm sure that they figured out a new revenue stream. And again, it's it's a it's a um, it's a cultural paradigm shift that we're going through right now where, mm-hmm. where black is white and white is black. And so you can't trust anything. And I know that sounds all conspiracy theory, but I think we really have to be careful trusting the institutions that we once trusted. Now, I I understand a lot of people don't like Planned Parenthood because of the abortion issue, and I completely, completely understand that. But I think the healthcare that they offered aside of that was important. Some people's only access to pap smears and gynecological exams and STD testing and stuff that can be life-threatening if you don't get it checked out. Now they've lost the support of, of funding because of the abortion piece. And so I think they replaced it with, I mean, that's my guess. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know for sure either, but it's certainly not helping these kids. So, you know, what do you suggest parents do? I mean, they, you know, you see the kids getting online and your kid wants a smartphone. We all know that. And, you know, when you and I were kids and there were bullies in school or tough things that went on, ideally you go home and there's a safe environment there. It's not for every kid, but there should be. And now the bad person is right there in, in your phone. Your kid could be sitting across a room from you and being groomed by somebody who's getting into their head through their phone or through some kind of app or in their computer or whatever. I mean, what do you suggest parents do to fight this? 
I think you need to, I think you need to take an active role in your kid's social media life. I would not give my kids phones if I could take it back. Um, I think there was just a report that came out of the Department of Health saying that um, social media is actively bad for, especially for teenage girls. Um, I think it has some pros and cons, right? I think we're also stuck because most of our kids are doing homework online because of COVID. Everything's on the computer. So you have to take an active role and make sure that your internet is controlled. You can get devices that can plug into your main system to close it off at a certain hour. And you have to set ground rules. And, you know, I didn't. I do think that there is responsible use of, of social media that we can encourage. Um, but that's going to be kid by kid. It really depends on how susceptible your kid is to the influences. Right. Um, we, and- we as adults can look at social media, Facebook or whatever else. And one of my old producers called it a highlight reel. Facebook. And he's still right because you only put the good stuff on there, right? You don't put it when you're, when your kids are, you know, getting arrested or your house is a disaster. You're having a fight with your spouse. You don't put anything like that online. And it's funny when I'll put a picture online, people go, what a great picture of you. I just, I laugh. I go, do you think I'm going to put a bad one up there? I mean, really? And so it's, but we as adults can process that in a different way. We understand that it's not real and we're not competing with people who don't, you know, in reality look like that or don't live like that or whatever it might be. We've got our own lives. When you're a teenager, it's a very different situation. You'd be surprised how many adults can't tell the difference. Well, maybe. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's a human thing that we all assume somebody else has it better um, and I, I think this whole experience has made me really um, walk through the world with a lot more empathy because I realize that people are dealing with unfathomable situations and still getting up and going to work every day. Yeah. And they don't have resources and they don't have support. Um, it's it's a really challenging experience. Now, what's happening in other countries? Uh, you talked about this being an international. You've got the USA, obviously UK. We talked about Australia, Canada, other places. What you know? What are parents saying? And this, it's pretty much the same situation all over the the uh, the world. I mean, what's happening with it legislation is. and things like that too? It is, but, but uh, so England had uh, originally Tavistock was supposed to be closed. I think there was it was unclear if it had entirely closed, um, but they're supposed to restructure it and reopen it as a bunch of holistic satellite clinics which would holistic meaning they wouldn't use medical intervention as mm-hmm. the first line of attack. Um, I think a lot of the reasons why they got into trouble was they just weren't equipped to deal with it. They took terrible records. I mean, the, the time to think by Hannah Barnes is the book that talks all about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people were there with gay kids hoping to make them not gay and like all sorts of reasons why people bring their kids in for that treatment. And I think um, France uh, pretty much decided that they wouldn't do anybody under 18 because you cannot tell the difference between a normal adolescent phase and a trans identity, which is something they said in their press release, which I thought was interesting. Um, Because that is a question is how are they telling? If you, if you walk in to a clinic and you say I'm trans and you can get testosterone in a, in a 15 or 20 minute informed consent meeting, how is that really meaningfully being diagnosed? Um, You don't have to have a doctor's note. You don't have to have a mental health assessment. I mean, it's insanity. And I also had an experience to just go off subject for a second where I I looked at the list of California therapists that was sent to me that will affirm, uh, they'll write your kid a letter in an hour to get surgery or hormones or a gender marker change. And so I tested it and I got back 20 emails for my 16 year old to get a a mastectomy after a one hour session on the phone. Wow. Now, how much can you meaningfully get to know someone in an hour? Well, you can't. And it's it's my understanding that a lot of these places, if you're a a therapist of any kind and you don't immediately affirm them and send them down the medication slash surgery funnel, then you could potentially lose your license. 
Well, that would require you to have to have a report made against you. And it's interesting because that law, which was the Therapeutic Fraud Prevention Act that Ted Lieu passed here, I think it was 2018, he tried to take it federal and I don't know if he ever did, but it basically says you can't advertise that you're a conversion therapist and make money off of telling people that you will try to un ungay or untrans their kids. That's not the language he used, but that's conversion therapy, right? It's designed to make your kid not gay or not trans. Well, they're two different things. And they added gender identity to that conversion therapy bill in an effort to, to not let that happen. But the weird thing is that gender is fluid and changes. So it makes no logical sense that if something like, what are you talking someone out of if it can change from day to day? Do you know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's a very confused Right. Um, and I think it was put in there for political reasons, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't mean you can't talk about it. It just means you can't try to talk someone out of it and say that you can, if you pay me enough, I'll get your kid straight or, or not trans. And so I think it's the interpretation of that law. That's the problem. We're working on paperwork, um, with the legal part of our, our organization to, to make that clear to therapists that the, there, there's a, there's a gray area in which they can operate with safety or I think with morality, frankly, mm -hmm. where you, you owe it to someone to ask them those questions. The whole conversion therapy, does that even exist? The whole category of conversion therapy? I mean, there are therapists out there, right? Who may talk to your child who's going through a tough time, whatever it might be, maybe wrestling with their sexuality, family issues, whatever it might be. But are they technically, was that technically something people do? Try to take a, a, a child who claims to be gay and make them straight? Yes, I think it's historically something that's been done for years. And there's been horrible stories of kids going to excuse me, conversion therapy camps. And I think there's even been some deaths of people trying to, to convert their children out of it in a, in a spiritual way. And, I, you know, again, I think if kids are just left alone, they can grow up and figure out who they are. And I think this influence is, um, is really dangerous. And I think that the problem with the conversion therapy bills is they've, they've lumped in gender identity, which means that none of it can be talked about. I am absolutely for anti-conversion therapy bills saying you can't try to talk somebody out of, being, out of being gay. If they want to talk about it, they should still be allowed to talk about it, though. It shouldn't be something that you send them to a place to ungay them. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. I think if someone who's gay, who's conflicted about it, wants to talk about it, they should be allowed to talk about it. That's yeah. weird to, to well, assume yeah. that. You know, and again, I think, but they're different things. Trans and gay are different things. I think Very it's interesting, though, that, you know, you're coming out from, from, a, from a liberal perspective. I'm coming at it from a conservative perspective. But, you know, we, we agree on a lot of these fundamental differences, which would be this idea that trying to send kids down the route of medicine and, uh, you know, getting parts chopped off is not getting to the heart of the matter. And there are kids who experiment with, you know, with girls if they're a girl or guys if they're a guy and then wind up not being that way later on. They, they get married. They have children. I've known people like that in my life. And they grow on to, to get married and they're a straight marriage and that kind of thing. So that happens too. It's all, a lot of times it's, you know, things they, you know, change as they grow. But the idea that you couldn't talk about it if you had a, a, any kind of conflict without immediately having a therapist send you down this chute to me is unconscionable, whatever the situation may be. Well, I think it's lazy therapists and I think it's also ideological. We're, you know, we're facing an ideological capture. We have the, the ideological capture of our government. I mean, I cannot believe that the, the Biden administration, as much as I chose not to vote for him this last round um, for a variety of reasons, um, they are pushing this as if it's settled science. It's not settled science. It's a belief system that's being forced on all of us and it's sort of akin to if you uh, Christians, for example, forced everybody to wear a cross and called Jesus their Lord and Savior. Well, you might believe that. And that is absolutely your right in our country right. to believe that. But I'm not forcing people to walk around with my I'm not sure pin, you know, my agnostic pin. I'm saying you do you, I'll do me. But that's what pronouns basically are. Pronouns are basically an insistence that we all 
say this is something we believe in. And I don't believe in gender ideology. And this whole idea that you are something phobic because you're not on board with this is ridiculous and insulting. And the whole idea that you have no one to talk to as a parent sometimes. Either your friends are saying you should affirm your child no matter what, or people are saying, uh, you know, they're totally against your child possibly transitioning. So it makes it very difficult as a parent to have anyone to talk to about the struggle. And now some people think it should be a felony if you misgender somebody. I mean, it's crazy. The other side is particularly hysterical about this issue that using the hurling slurs and phobia and all this stuff is just avoiding the actual issue is that this is a medical ethics scandal with no evidence base that is being allowed to com- continue and growing. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, and we know that crazy. all parents aren't good parents. We, we know that. I mean, we, we, most parents do the best they can and they love their kids and they care. But the idea that a school can do anything without the parent's consent, call your, you know, your child's name is Evan and now the school is going to call him Ava and you're not going to know. I mean, if you're happy with what you're doing, you're proud of what you're doing, then you do it in the light of day. I don't care what it is in life, right? And it's the same with that. And they're always trying to go against the parent, trying to go under the wire, be under the radar, so nobody sees what they're doing. That's what's really annoying about this to me, one of, one of the aspects. Well, absolutely. And there's actually an interesting um, article by Tina Traster, who uh, is a woman who wrote an article in Psychology Today about the runaway statistic of LGBTQ kids running away. And the truth is most of them leave of their own accord. The myth is that parents kick them out. That's not right. true. They're told by the, they're fed daily by the internet that somehow their parents are transphobes and don't support them. So they leave. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying nobody kicks out their LGBTQ kid. I'm sure they do. And that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. Right. But a lot of times they leave because they don't feel supported. Well, define support. You know, I support a kid who's going through distress. These kids are very distressed. That is not debatable. But that, that the only way to fix that distress is experimental surgery and hormones is highly debatable. And so that's where I draw the line. There's a difference between disagreeing with your kid and not accepting your kid. And, right. and that's where it gets conflated into, into transphobia. It's not transphobia to say, I don't agree that this is your option. Right. It's so true. Yeah. As a Christian, I know, I know p- p- parents who have kids who are gay and they, they love their kids anyway. And they'll, you know, I, that's what God tells us all as a Christian. This is my version of God. God loves us no matter what, but God doesn't salute everything we do. You know, God doesn't say, it's okay to run your mouth. Go ahead, gossip about everybody. Do this, do that. Screw everybody out of money. You know, all these different things that God prohibits. He prohibits them for a reason, but he loves you anyway. And if I were a parent, I would say, okay, I love you no matter what. I don't think it's a good idea for you to do this or that, but I still love you. But I'm not going to affirm you and say, well, that's fantastic, honey. You go right on ahead and and just rip that store off and let me know when you, you know, whatever it might be that you're doing. And so how do we get to the point where the only way to love somebody is to affirm everything they do? That's not a good friend. That's not a good partner. That's not a good parent. How do we get to that point? Well, it's manipulation. It's psychological manipulation. I mean, I think a lot of parents are still recovering from being asked if they want a live son or a dead daughter. That was the way it was two or three years ago, and it's still happening. And being told that your kid's going to kill themselves, 50% chance they're going to kill themselves by a reputable Los Angeles hospital if they don't go on hormones. And I'm like, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. And again, I think parents are desperate and scared. And so once you have a desperate, scared parent, we'll do anything to protect our kids. And so I think you end up um, doing and saying things that you know are wrong just to make sure that your kid is okay. And the ultimate thing is that, you know, Tavistock was a perfect example. There were kids who waited on that waiting list for five years. Their suicide rate did not go up. It was no higher than the normal population, which is its own anecdotal version of they won't kill themselves if they don't get treatment because these kids didn't get treatment and they didn't kill themselves. So like, 
It's well, you did, you did mention something about Tavistock earlier about how, and I interrupted you to ask you something else. Sorry about that, because I wanted to kind of have you clarify what Tavistock okay. was. Uh, you mentioned the high uh, rate of autism among mm -hmm. some of the people who are in Tavistock. And it makes you wonder, uh, you know, how many other things people may be dealing with that they're ignoring under the guise of, no, we're going to send you down that you must be trans. I don't, I don't want to know what you're, my parents are getting divorced and you know, my dad left, my mom left, you know, da, 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 I'm getting bullied at school. No, no, you, that's because you're not the right sex. I mean, they're just ignoring all these other factors. Right. But the autism things fr is frankly a little scary because there are people who are socially uh, awkward. Not all autistic kids are, I understand, but let's say you are socially awkward and you fit into that category. Now we're going to say, oh, no, the problem is you really want to be another sex. I mean, th that's like the one size fits all answer to any psychological problem in kids nowadays. Well, and I think with with under 18s, there's a little bit more control. But I think the most vulnerable group in this conversation are the 18 to 25s because they're mm -hmm. considered to be adults when they're absolutely not adults. And many of them are autistic and many of them are going to clinics and many of them are not being assessed for anything because they don't have to be. And so as parents, we have very little control over what happens. And we've been in conversations mm -hmm. with some of the leading experts in this country about this. Like, please, please come up with some sort of paradigm where we can say like, okay, if you have an autism diagnosis, you get a different assessment for this procedure. And again, the assessments are terrible. I mean, for the most part, you know, there isn't any, but for surgery, I think you just have to have a letter. Like it's a very quick thing. Um, but if we were to just implement some sort of safeguarding for kids who are vulnerable, for whom this may not be appropriate, which I'm guessing is most of them, because it's not evidence-based. Like there's no way to know. The only way they're going to get the evidence is to keep doing it, which is why this is so scary. Is And they've said that outright. Some of the people we've spoken with said they're collecting the evidence now on the backs of our kids. Now, that's, me, that's not an ethical experiment. It's just a it's the wild west, frankly. If they're no. not doing control groups, which supposedly they're going to do those in, Swe in Sweden, they're going to do control groups, which is its own other ethical complication because you're experimenting on kids. So yeah. if there's really no right way for this to turn out. I think we just have to scale it back to the most extreme cases like it used to be and um, and let it, you know, it shouldn't be given out like this in such um, right. easy fashion. And not only that, there's not only a cost to the people involved, there's a cost to society at large, obviously, with people who are being turned into medical eunuchs, people who are more likely to commit suicide and all the other things. Besides that cost, which is terrible to what happens to people, is the idea that these drugs are expensive. And a lot of these people who are having these issues are have sometimes they do wind up living on the streets or, you know, couch surfing. Uh, trying to work jobs that they can't really work a job. They're young. They don't have enough, probably a job that pays for insurance. So they're trying to get these surgeries and you and I are paying the bill. They're expensive and the drugs are expensive. So talk a little bit about that cost. Oh, I think it's, I think Scott Nugent talked about it being like a million dollars a person. Like it's, it's a huge business. It's wow. a $52 billion business in the next 10 years. If you look at the trajectory of plastic surgeons and the gender affirming care business is big business. And so I think what you have is the mandates are problematic. So in California, they mandated that I think a certain number of hospitals have trans clinics. So now that they've spent all this money, they need to fill those beds. And mm -hmm. so you're going to have, you know, once you get into the sales part of healthcare, that's where things go wrong. It's because right. you're not supposed to be selling it. It's supposed to be fixing people's problems. You're not supposed to be pitching things as ideas that, that you know, that weren't necessarily problems to start out with. And so I think that's really what we're talking about is, is the, the big pharma 
but this is where I guess it sound really conspiratorial. Like that's the problem is once you start going, it's big pharma, you know, it's the government. It is, but it's it's a matter of exposing that in a rational way, which has been done by several people. There's a guy named Lior Sapir who's written about it. Jesse Single has written about it, how these studies come out and the the they cherry pick and they publish it. And then when the data is 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 um, refuted, they don't bother to follow up and say, oh, by the way, our study was incorrect. We had right. the data backwards. Um, it, it's a concerted effort to feed the pharma monster, you know, and it's it's terrible because we have had this experience before. We just got through the opioid crisis. We just finished right. paying the Californians who we who we sterilized against their will, the mentally ill people. We paid them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I don't know how you get away from that. I interviewed a woman a while back who was vaccine injured and she has severe problems as many of the ones I've talked to do. She picks up an entire box of pills, you know, like the kind of box you put nuts and screws in, turns it around. And guess who makes the pills? Starts with a P, ends with an R. So we'll screw you up for life and we'll be happy to provide you all kinds of pills to try to counteract what we've done to you. And so the more you're talking, the more I'm seeing the parallels in what's gone on, just in all the information and the misinformation and the things we've been told the last few years. And and it's not conspiratorial. We know that when there's money involved in it, then you obviously motivate people to do certain things. We know that. Well, and this is a little different because... People are going from being a pediatrician to being a life-saving pediatrician. They're going from being a doctor to being a life-saving doctor. Now, yes, doctors save lives, but most of them don't. Most of them are taking people's blood, or I guess that's nurses, but you know what I'm saying. They're doing the daily... Every right. job is mundane. Like at a they're checking time. your heart, you know, they're for the... Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're making sure you're well, but they're not doing heroic, life-saving work. Right. And I think that that is what this has created, is people who honestly believe that they are saving lives and that I am standing in the way of that. And people like us are standing in the way of them being able to save people's lives. It's a very ideological approach because it 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 puts reason to the side. I mean, mm-hmm. any normal person could look at a graph out of the UK and see that that, that increase of four thousand percent is unnatural at most and concerning. It, right. It's not it's not a natural phenomenon. Why are parents standing up? You know, whenever I hear about some kid who's a boy biologically a boy, suddenly wants to identify as female to be a swimmer or a soccer player, whatever it might be. We see the stories every day. Why, if to me, if every parent in America took their daughter out of sports for a year, this nonsense would stop because there's so much money in youth sports, right? But why, where's the outcry? You talked earlier about something I want to get back to because it was so important about basically trying to eliminate women. That's a lot of what this is doing. Where's the outcry? Where's the sisterhood? Um, I think there is um, a divide. I think you have, I mean, I, I am a very uh, aware of the whole sports issue. And I think we, we have tried, you know, California just had the track meet where there was a, a transgender, a trans identified boy who went to the meet and came in second and uh, took a, kicked a girl off the podium, right? Because mm-hmm. she would have come in third if he hadn't been there. Mm-hmm. And um, parents came to the event with posters and were asked to leave. And they were told that the event would be stopped if they didn't leave. Now, they weren't willing to compromise all those girls' future for this message. And I get that. And they were given a whole bunch of crap for leaving. But I was like, but I understand they don't want to be the one standing in the way either. Like, what's the difference if you're stopping it or if he's he's preventing you from getting where you want to be? So, yes, there's definitely going to be some evolution as far as how we protest these things. I think it's going to have to happen in the courts. I think we're going to have to have lawsuits with the detransitioners. We're going to have to have lawsuits with female spaces. Um, We're going to have, that's the only way it's really going to get resolved. Um, but it just takes a long time. Right. 
Now, if people want to go to your website, rduty.group, it's rduty.group, everybody, it's a UK website. Uh, you've got information there. I know you've got resources there, news. If people are dealing with this right now and they need someone to talk to, you guys are there for them. Correct. So on the subheading, there's a slash USA, which is what, what I'm dealing with directly. Um, and then the other groups from around the country, uh, the world are there. But yeah, you'll get you'll get uh, put in your information and register, which is kept confidential. And then, you know, we'll speak and we can send you towards the support that you need. Everybody's different. Some people just need other parents to talk to. Um, some people need psychology, psychological support or psychiatric mm -hmm. support. Um We'll, we'll give you everything we have. And most of this is about the language. Um, I was noticing during the AB 957 hearing yesterday in California how ignorant the people who think they are on the right side of things are about this issue. And I think we all need to be reading as much as we can about it so we know how to talk about it. Because yeah. For those, let me, let me stop you there. It's important because AB 957 in California, this bill seeks to remove from a, from a parent or family that is not gender affirming. It would take their child away because this would now be considered. It wouldn't take their child away. It wouldn't take their child away. That could be the worst case result. What is right. the bill supposedly is designed to do is to tell a judge that it is better to to, to err on the side of the affirming parent for the child's mental well being. Right. So the judge can still decide that, but what judge is going to go against? Like it's just setting it's setting up parents who are conflicted about transitioning their children uh, to lose. And once you lose custody, you're you're in California. Your spouse can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, and that's a disaster because it would be they would be fall under the category of abuse and neglect if you didn't affirm your child. And as you mentioned, I mean, with all the divorces, I mean, there are already so many battles. I, this is horrifying. One parent wants to transition the kid; the other parent wants to just wait a few years. We've already seen these stories. Well, and the frustrating part is that you know they look at that bill and say that's not what this is for. And I'm like, but yeah, but that's what it's going to be used for. It really shouldn't matter. Like it matters what the language says, but if it doesn't explicitly say it won't be used for that then we have a problem. So we are going to try to work with the people um, who are amending the bill. Um, there's a couple of senators who we've reached out to, and hopefully we can express, you know, put in language that prevents that from becoming an outcome because yeah. their point was, this isn't the right venue for it. It's not family court. It's a, it's a, a, a divorce proceeding thing. It shouldn't have anything to do with punitive abuse, anything like that, but it will. And so we're just trying to prevent that connection from being made. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing. And when you look at, you know, what's going on, I'm sure you have a lot, a lot of parents who are kind of underground. They, they're talking with themselves if they can find anybody, which of course they can on your website. Uh, but it's, it, once again, another parallel with the vaccine, the people I've talked to who thought they were the only people who were injured, all of a sudden they found this huge group of people who were talking amongst themselves and you are facilitating those kind of conversations among parents because maybe they have no one in their circle they can talk to about this, or they're embarrassed to talk to their friends about it, or they, you know, or their friends are are, are going to, you know, come down on them if they mention it. So it's good to have that support group. It's really important to realize you're not alone. You're not alone, and we have therapists coming to us. We have had such an increase since Aaron's video. Aaron Friday did a video on the Daily Signal uh, an interview, um, and it brought. I think it's gotten eight hundred thousand views, and it's brought so many people to us from all over the country. Um, so grateful to find something wow. that resembles reality. And so right. I think that's our goal is to connect people with resources and other people and to, you know, empower them to have their own voices in this. I mean, yesterday at the hearing, 120 people lined up to oppose that bill. Wow. That's huge. That that's more huge. than anyone has ever, ever in, in our experience. It's usually the same 10 people. So we are reaching people. So we just have to keep talking and be rational and, and compassionate, but we have to keep talking. 
Yeah. So check this out, folks. Go to rduty.group and all the information is up there, whatever country you're in. There's information that's pertinent to you and your situation. JG, thank you so much for being a hero and trying to fight back. And and I like I said, I love the fact that you and I come from different political perspectives, but we can agree on these kinds of things and trying to protect children. I mean, really, that's what it should all be about, right? Should we be able to have conversations and not agree on everything, every aspect of politics and everything else when it comes to this? It should be, you know, not a red or blue issue. That's for sure. It's not. It's not a political issue. And I'm glad to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you. Thank you, Gigi. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great talking to Gigi LaRue from OurDuty.Group. I'll put all the information in the description. I encourage you if you're a parent struggling with, and so many are, maybe you're silently struggling with this, you need help, reach out to OurDuty.Group. I'll put all the information, as I said, in the description. Don't forget to go to DontShrinkBack.com. We do videos there, podcasts there, and of course the podcast is Don't Shrink Back, so don't miss that either. You can also find us on Rumble at Don't Shrink Back, and you can email us, Heidi at DontShrinkBack.com. That's Heidi at don'tshrinkback.com. Till we meet again, remember, God's in charge and don't shrink back. Mm-hmm.